Welcome to another episode of the Presidential Podcast. I'm Emily, the current UNH Student Body President. And I'm Dina, the current UNH Student Body Vice President. This week's guest is President Dean and Provost Jones, which is really, really exciting. Our connections run so deep in this university. We were (laughs) able to get the superstars. No, we're like really lucky they're coming on. Yeah. I'm really excited. Um, But before we interview them, we're going to do a little bit of a Senate update. We didn't meet this week because of the holiday on Sunday, but maybe we could talk about some meetings we've been in. Yeah. I went to TPC, which is the Transportation Policy Committee, and normally you go to that. And you're so right. It was so much fun. I love the transportation policy. And you know what's funny is I met the people that are like in charge of parking and like ticketing, and they're so cool. Like they're really nice. And I think since a lot of students have such a negative connotation of what parking and ticketing is, it was just I think a lot of students would be shocked to meet the women in charge because they're awesome and they're really they know their stuff. They really know about parking and ticketing. I learned, like a I learned a lot, yeah. Um, we also met with the Chair of Faculty Senate, the Vice Chair of Faculty Senate, and the Vice Provost of Academics mm-hmm. yesterday. That was super fun. Um, just talking about general discovery program stuff and trying to get more student voices on the committee, and hopefully we can make some great changes with the discovery committee over the summer into next year. Yeah. And one other thing I want to highlight is this week, um, our cabinet chair, Kira, put on um, Dogs and Donuts, which Classic. is really fun. Basically, it's a collab with UNHPD and Durham PD, and then, of course, Charlie and Maggie, the service dogs, and we provide donuts. And it's just basically an opportunity for people to come in for the, do- the donuts and the dogs, but they end up meeting the police and realize how awesome they are. You also went on the lighting review as well. I didn't go, but a lot of our council chairs did. <laughs> it was really fun, they said. I kind of regret not going. But basically, um, students and some staff and faculty go on this little walk around campus, <laughs> and they find out where there are some darker parts of Durham and figure out where there needs to be more light, which is honestly a huge problem. Yeah. Our campus is pretty dark at night and scary. Yeah, and it's so, like, pretty and quaint and cute during the day. Mm -hmm. And then at night, it just looks all dark and eerie. And that's just because of the lights. So, All right, I think that pretty much sums up our week. Um, Let's welcome the president and the provost. Hello, President Dean and Provost Jones. How are you guys doing tonight? (laughs) Doing great, thank you. (laughs) Nice afternoon. It's beautiful out in New Hampshire. Have you guys ever filmed a podcast before? I have. Yes. Okay, so they have some. We have some experts here. Um, we're both newbies to this, Dina, but I think we have it down after recording a few episodes. Yeah, I think this is gonna be a good one. It's a beautiful day to record a podcast. Oh, yeah. I would say so. And we're so lucky to have you. You were highly requested, so I'm really excited to ask you guys some important questions. Yes. Um, I think to start, maybe we can go over an introduction. So what we do when we have a podcast, we always post on our Instagram asking like students um, to send in some questions. And our most common one was, what is a provost? But maybe you could go around and talk about um, how you guys got here and what you guys do day to day. Do you want to direct us one way or the other? All right. What's the start? I'll start. So it's hard to say what I do day to day because every every day is probably different. Yesterday I was in in Concord meeting with other uh, university leaders, and I came back for meetings with students and meetings with staff. 
Uh, some days I do uh, development work, fundraising work. Um, so Wayne will talk in a minute about his responsibilities as the chief academic officer of the university. So he has responsibility for everything that's academic, teaching and research. Put it, so I'm going to put that aside, and so Provost Jones can talk about it. I also have responsibility for the financial part of the university, for fundraising, for human resources, for marketing, um, facilities, some other things as well. So all the things that you have in any big organization, I have responsibility for. And then through Provost Jones, also responsibility for academics. Thank you. So what is a provost? Oh, that's a great question. It's <laughs> a great question that I get so often. I will say that the first thing, the first job of any provost is to remember they're not the president. So I'm glad that the president <laughs> is first. I think that's very, okay. very important. You know, the, the provost is the chief academic officer of the university, first and foremost. Uh, I think that when we think about it, uh, I always like to refer back to the, the, the Middle Ages when the provost was the keeper of the dungeon. Uh, <laughs> UNH is not a dungeon. <laughs> UNH is not a dungeon. In, in modern times, you find it in two places. The provost is the is the CEO, if you will, of a prison, or is the chief academic officer of a university. And at UNH, that means that the deans of all the colleges uh, are on my team, uh, as well as the 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 vice provost, the senior leaders that support uh, research and student life and enrollment management. So. I like to think of it as the, the, the president does a fabulous job facing out from the university and talking to the state and to alumni. And I stand back to back with the, pro, with the president, making sure that everything going on inside the university is consistent with what he's saying outside. That's the exactly how I describe it. Like you're more internal and he's more external. Um, you, do you disagree? <laughs> no, no, no that, that's fine. I mean, it's, 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 it's messier than that, but, it, but it's, that's directionally correct. Yeah. So how does, like, one get into becoming a president or a provost? What are the steps? Like, you have if a cool background where you used to be a professor, too, right? Well, we both were professors. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and there is no one path into these senior leadership roles. Uh, no, go mean, ahead. I went first the last time. Go ahead. Okay, I'll go <laughs> first this time. So for me, I, I'm a chemistry professor by training. So I started my career as a chemistry professor, uh, teaching undergraduate students and graduate students in large lecture halls. I slipped into leadership because opportunities presented themselves, and, and I had a little bit of success uh, becoming not just an assistant professor, associate professor, full professor, going up through the ranks, but also becoming director of the graduate program and department chair, and then I became a dean uh, and then I came to UNH as Dean of SEPS. Uh, so I had been Dean of Arts and Sciences at my former institution, moved here as the Dean of SEPS. Uh, and then a little while later, I had the uh, surprising opportunity to step in as provost uh, as the new president was arriving. Uh, so you never know when opportunities are going to present themselves. Best day ever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy to have Wayne available to become provost. So my path was not too different. Um, my field is different. So I, my PhD is in organizational behavior, which is in the business school. So it's basically at the intersection of business and social science. And uh, I was a professor for many years uh, and then became an associate dean and then a dean and then a provost and now president. Cool. We talked about this earlier that you guys are both so, so busy. And that leads into my second question. How do you guys manage the needs of everybody in our community? So you have students, you have stakeholders, staff, alumni, broader community within Durham. How do you make decisions about the university while including everybody's voices? It's a tough question. but <laughs> well, 
I would say, I would start by saying not every decision is relevant to every constituency. True. Few are, actually. So you might have two or three in any given decision, or you might even just have one, but that doesn't even necessarily make it easy. What if it's, it's simply students? Um, there's, you know, as, as you guys would know better than almost anybody, there's lots of differences of opinion and different of interest even among students. So we try to think about when we're making a decision, we try to think about who's influenced, what are the stakes of the decision, what are the alternatives, what are the advantages and disadvantages of, of each one, um, get as much data as we can to make a decision. So we try to get our arms around it, and, and especially early in the decision-making process, if you were in a meeting with the two of us and conceivably some other people as well, we're always trying to think about what we're missing. Is there an element of this that we haven't captured? Is there something that could be a surprise, something that we don't know, something that we need to know more about? And in some ways, that's the harder part of it. Um, we often joke that most of the easy decisions are made somewhere else. And so when, when a decision gets to the level of the provost, the president, it's, it's rarely easy. It's usually, to your point, it's usually something where there's a trade-off among two really important things. Um, during COVID, when we met, one of our ongoing jokes is, which of these bad options do you like the best? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's a little bit of sense of it. And what would you add to that? That, that summarizes COVID pretty well. <laughs> um, you know, what I would add uh, is that you know, listening is the most important skill of any leader, whether you're making a decision or not. Uh, and as I think about making decisions and listening, we have to spend a lot of time listening, but it's not just us. So specifically what I would say is we have a great team around us. We have a team of deans. We have a team of other senior leaders. We have 34 members of the president's leadership council, which includes pretty much everyone that reports to both the president and the provost all in one group. And so we're counting on that team, not only to you know, help filter decisions as they come up uh, to the top of the administration, but also to provide that input. Because you know, we have you know, great leaders in student life, in Dean Blackman and in Senior Vice Provost Holmes. Uh, we have all of the deans of all the colleges, and they're talking to faculty and students and staff. They're all funneling that information up to us. And of course, we like to keep our doors open as well and have conversations with student senate leaders, for example. We have the privilege of meeting with you guys month, once a month, so it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and that's how I kind of run my administration, too, because we're both presidents. Um, <laughs> that, we, that I use my cabinet a lot for my decisions, too. I don't think my decisions are as hard as yours, but, you know, in my minimal decision-making. Um, okay, so my next question, um, one of my favorite um, events, I guess, that I've been to this year was the... What's State of the yes. University. And yes. all three of us were actually there. Me, Emily, and Max, um, our producer, we were all there sitting and listening. Yeah, it was so fun. I felt like I was at a real, like... Yeah, uh, I felt <laughs> official being there. I know yeah. anyone can go, but, like, I was like, I'm important because yeah. I'm here. That's funny you say that. Um, but I guess this kind of stems from the State of the University. What is your vision for the future of this university, and what action steps are you taking to make to put that into reality? So as, as you know, since you attended, but, but many of the people listening didn't, yeah. so there's an entire website dedicated to answering that question, and it's called The Future of UNH. But let me back up to how we got there. So uh, as Provost Jones said, when he joined as provost and I joined as president, 
we then led a process of about six months or so of trying to bring together the university around what our future should be and what our aspirations should be. And we involved students. You guys weren't here yet, I don't think. In the fall of 2018, were you here yet? I was not here. Okay. So we, we involved the students who were here at the time. We involved really all the constituencies that you listed a minute ago. We involved all of those constituencies. And at the end of that, we came up with a strategic plan which has the four elements to it. Student success and, and well-being, academic excellence, embrace New Hampshire, and build financial strength. And we then uh, identified, so those are the, the areas of strategic priority. And then underneath each one of them, there's very specific initiatives that we're undertaking uh, associated with each one. And then also on that website, it, it, uh, it identifies the metrics that we have, our, our goals. How do, we, how do we keep score, whether we're making progress? And one of the things that we decided to do was to compare ourselves to other public universities, that that's a relevant competitive set for us, and to have our metrics be where do we, how do we uh, compare or rank against other public universities in things that are important to us. So we didn't just take uh, the U.S. News rankings or some other rankings. We said, what are the things that we're really trying to accomplish? Such, for example, student success, and what are good metrics of that? And so if you go to the website, you'll see what are the metrics that we are holding ourselves accountable for? What are the four areas of strategy? What are the initiatives associated with each one? And even some, what I would call aspirational language. What is it that we want the university to be in the future? Um, we spent a lot of time thinking through that. We've refreshed that strategy at least twice in the last four years and tested it in our conversations. Are we missing something? You know, what do we need to do differently? What do we need to stop doing? So we have a pretty elaborate uh, program associated with that. I would have to say probably my favorite thing um, was the Embrace New Hampshire. And the to like videos. see, yeah, I yeah. love the videos, <laughs> but also I do think New Hampshire is such a cool place. Like as an out-of-stater, like I, it is such a, like in terms of like biodiversity, like we have <laughs> beaches, we have mountains, we have lakes. Like it's crazy. It's so cool here. That was my favorite part too. I was going to bring that up. I yeah. liked it. It was like a the president of the provost went on a little field trip. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> on a bus I for two days. On, on yeah. a bus <laughs> for two days. Doesn't sound like a great field trip, but it was it was great getting around New Hampshire. And yeah. it's an opportunity for us to to listen as much as share. You know, we learned a lot about projects going on all over the state where students and faculty are working together with the community to make things better. And that that was really seeing many things in our strategic priorities come to life and come to life in the state of New Hampshire. Um, by the way, I, I think it, we should have you tell that story. The, you're, I thought you did a great job, Dina, of uh, putting enthusiasm into how wonderful New Hampshire is. Biodiversity. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I know what biodiversity means, but <laughs> New Hampshire was the reason why I came here. I, I had never, I'd never even been this far up north until I uh, looked, at, looked at UNH for college, but like the whole... 20 minutes from the beach, an hour from Boston, and then there's another one about the mountains. I forget how far that one is. And I was like, I'm sold. I was like, I'm ready. Live free or die. Like, let's go. I love that. <laughs> mountains are about an hour. They're a lot of fun. Too. <laughs> See, there you go. And what you may know about Prov may not know about Provost Jones is he has climbed many of those mountains. Really? Uh, hiking is something I like to do. That's that's absolutely true. You have the sticker on the back of your car that's that says something about Mount Washington or something. I feel like no, has no, that. neither neither my car nor your provost has climbed Mount Mar Mount Washington yet. <laughs> uh, people do that in a car. He climbs them on foot. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
Um, okay, transitioning into our next question, I think you brought this up earlier about how unique our university is compared to other institutions. Um, can you talk a little bit about what makes us different and what makes us a strong and unique university? Sure, there's a number of things that we could talk about there. Maybe we can start with some of the academic things. It certainly is beyond that, but uh, one of the things that we're really proud of and I'll ask Provost Jones to talk about is there's a set of educational experiences that have been identified as making a big difference in the lives of college students. And we have uh, a target and an initiative around that, if you'd like to talk about that for a second. Sure. High-impact learning experiences is, is, is the phrase that you'll find nationally. Uh, this is things outside of the classroom. You know, we have great faculty. We have great things going on in the classroom, in the laboratory, in the creative spaces over in Paul Creative Arts Center. Uh, but there's high-impact practices that kind of weave those together. It's things like uh, internships, things like getting involved with research with a faculty member or going to an archive, uh, things like study abroad. Uh, all of those help to broaden a student's perspective beyond what they're learning in the classroom and really make it more applied, like make it come to life. Uh, right now, uh, we were very, very pleased this year. We ranked number 22 in the country for the percentage of our students that do two or more of those high-impact learning experiences before they graduate. Uh, frankly, I'd like to see that be 100%. Uh, we're not there yet, but I think that there's lots of opportunity to do so. We just need to get the word out sooner. So that one is really fundamental because it has to do with academics and what people learn. Let me build on that a little bit in two ways. Uh, one is... I think you guys know that I have office hours for students and I announce them every once in a while and students sign up in, uh, in the Wildcat tool. And when I've asked students over all the years that I've been here now, uh, what is the best thing about UNH? The most common answer that I've gotten is some version of the word community, that, mm -hmm. that people believe that they can find their place here, they are, they're welcomed, that they belong that fellow students welcome them, that staff and faculty welcome them, and that they feel at home here. And I think that's really important for most students. It's the first time they've left home. It's a kind of a gut-wrenching experience for, for everybody. And I, I'm really proud of how people support one another here. And I will say, since I have the opportunity to be with alums who graduated anywhere from one to 60 years ago, they kind of say the same thing, and you'd be astonished how close the relationships are of people who are in their 70s and even into their 80s, and they think of UNH as been, being one of the best times in their lives, and in many cases, they still have friends that they built here. So it's not just a four-year kind of a thing. It's really a, a lifetime kind of thing. And then maybe the, if I could add just one more, I would say that the success that people experience when they leave the university is something we're very proud of. Um, most of our students don't come from particularly affluent backgrounds. Most of our students are middle class or working class, and some of our students come from poor families. Many of them are first-generation college students. Many of them are eligible for Pell Grants. And yet, our students go off and do great things, whether it be in business or in the military or any number of areas that we could talk about. And I think that's what, when we're really doing what we were called to do as the University of New Hampshire is to give those students the chance to go off and do great things, and many of them do. That's, I love that. Yeah. That was so cute. I'm sitting here smiling. That was so sweet. And because I agree with it, too. I yeah. mean, the community thing is so real. Like, my freshman year, I didn't want to go home for breaks. Like, I was like, <laughs> can I just stay here? Like, no, but, like, nobody was there. So. I'm glad <laughs> you touched on alumni a little bit because I'm graduating in a month. 
Um, and I know that I, I know that UNH has prepared me to be successful. Um, and I'm really glad I went here. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about what qualities you believe um, are essential in today's crazy world and how UNH prepares students for the real world. Sure. Certainly we do. I mean, I, that takes off on the last answer that I gave, which is that our students have, uh, our graduates have been very successful in, in really a wide range of fields. Uh, we, especially from his time at SEPS, could tell you about alumni who in the engineering and, and sciences world have done particularly well in a wide variety of fields, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, absolutely. But I I'm going to take a slightly different tack. All right. Uh, and that is... I think UNH does a great job of preparing students in a major or maybe a double major or a major and a minor. But I think the real success is when you get outside of that and you have more breadth. Because when I talk to those engineers that were incredibly successful coming out of SEPS, they'll often talk about how it was an English course or a history course or a language course that made them step up and go further in their career because their career path was not linear. It's not as simple as I get a degree, I get a job, I stay on that road. In reality, there's gonna be twists and turns and things are gonna work and things aren't gonna work. And the more that we as a community can pull ourselves together, not only to be more resilient, but also to explore more than just our own discipline, the more successful we're gonna be. And I agree. I think um, joining clubs, taking different classes that you normally wouldn't, has at least made me a different person um, and changed me for the better. And I know you can agree too. Yeah, it's definitely enhanced like my experience as well. I can say I, like I had no intention of joining student senate when I came to college <laughs> and I gave it a try and here we are. <laughs> well, here's, here's one way to think about this. So Provost Jones and I were just speaking yesterday to the leaders of the faculty senate who are charged with redesigning the discovery curriculum, as you know, and I know you've, you've both been very involved in that. And I mentioned to them that I'm giving a talk soon talking about the very thing that Provost Jones just mentioned, which is the need to be more than unidimensional. And, and just one thing to think about is students who graduate this year will probably be in the workforce for about 40 years, which takes you to 2063, oh my 2063. <laughs> so think about how much the world is going to change in 40 years by thinking about what's changed in the last 40 years. So 40 years ago, no internet, no social media, all telephones had cords, many of them still had dials, no email. That's the changes from the last 40 years, and it's accelerating. So, I mean, to Provost Jones' point, if we're going to send you out there into the world, it can't be to just do one thing because that thing may not be there. You have to have the core skills to be able to adapt, and that's what we're looking for. 100%. Um, what are some examples of successful initiatives or programs that UNH has implemented to enhance student learning and success? I think that's a good question to branch off of that one. Yeah, I, you know, there's, UNH has a long tradition of really centering on student success. I, I remember when I came to interview for the, for the deanship in SEPS, one of the things that stood out to me was everyone at the table talked about students and helping students, and students were at the center of that conversation. Love that. <laughs> yes. When, when I think about the things that I, I see that have been in particular uh, successful, usually it's when faculty are coming together to create new opportunities for students, uh, new opportunities for our first-year students. I think about the Innovation Scholars Program in SEPS, where uh, 
freshmen get an opportunity to do research beginning in their first week. Or I think about the ACE program in HHS, which is similar to the FIRE program, trying to bring students together that are still exploring where they want to go with their career. Those are great examples of, of faculty and staff and students coming together to create um, a, a broader learning experience for students than what they would find just in the classroom. Um, something else that I think is awesome uh, is the work that we've been doing around uh, sustainability, uh, which is really permeated in many different places uh, on campus. But we have a sustainability dual major. We have research going on in not every college, but nearly every college. Uh, I think a challenge for the university as we move forward is how do we integrate that even more and make that part of the, the, the fabric of UNH as a whole. But those are two things that I would highlight that I think UNH can be very, very proud of in recent years. All right, I'm going to take a different turn with this question. Um, this is also a question that was asked a lot in our Instagram poll. Um, what steps has the university taken to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion on campus? On campus and what challenges have you faced in this area? So we've done an awful lot. I mean, it's certainly something that we've made a concern of all of the leadership team that Provost Jones talked about. Probably one of the big steps we've done was hiring our chief diversity officer, Dr. Nadine Petty. And prior to that, prior to hiring Dr. Petty, the, the head of diversity had not been on the executive committee. The executive committee is the most senior leadership team. Uh, there's about 10 of us. It's a subset of the PLC that we talked about before. So I, I went to the executive committee when we were hiring and said, I really think that the chief diversity officer should have a seat at the table at the highest level. And everybody said, yeah, that's right. So, so we made that change. That has then meant that in every senior meeting that we're in, someone representing diversity is always there, always thinking about it. Um, and it inspires us to continue to think about it as well. We've, we've done a lot in terms of hiring, and I'm going to ask Provost Jones to talk about faculty hiring for diversity. Um, that's certainly a big area. We've done an awful lot in terms of training and making training available. We've, we've changed the system that people can use to report incidents of bias. We've made it much easier to report and tried to be more responsive. And I'm aware the Student Senate just passed a resolution asking us to go further in that area. But I would say that uh, hiring, we also have done the uh, climate survey. We did one a couple of years ago, and we're doing it again now. So we're constantly thinking about where are we, how can we do things better. And before I go to Provost Jones, I also just want to say that, that I've met now twice with the Diversity Support Coalition, DSC, is that right? Mm -hmm. Diversity Support Coalition. Um, and in the Beauregard Center to try and understand what their concerns are. And I think there were... 10 or 12 different student group rep groups represented there. And I was there, Dr. Petty was there, uh, senior vice provost, these titles go on and on and on, <laughs> uh, Ken Holmes, and also uh, Mike Blackman, the dean of students. We were all there twice listening to student concerns. And we've done a number of things already to try and address those concerns, and there's more to come. But I want to make sure that Provost Jones has a chance to talk about faculty hiring, which is one of our big initiatives in that area. Well, I, I will say from first from a student perspective, very, very briefly, I think uh, our commitment to our top strategic priority being student success and well-being is wrapped up in our, our commitment to diversity and inclusivity in particular, because we want our students to feel comfortable when they're walking across campus. They should not be worried about whether they belong here 
uh, or whether there are other people that are like them that, that can engage with them, that can help them grow. Um, part of that, of course, is faculty hiring. And faculty hiring in, in a, a predominantly white state like New Hampshire might be difficult to think about in a diverse uh, manner. Several pieces to that. Nadine Petty has been great working with her and all the deans. We've actually really upped our game on training and the development of search committees, really focusing not on any quota or any specific number or type of individual, but rather saying we need the biggest, broadest pool of applicants we can possibly find. And when you do that and you do some experiments, like um, we had one search that went off in SEPS that was just reported on by one of the department chairs, uh, where they, they made it blind from many of the characteristics, including the name of the university that the individual was coming from. What we found was very, very diverse pools popping to the top. So changing the search process, more diverse pools, getting training out there. Two other things that have been very successful. One, if you want to increase the diversity of your pools, maybe you should look closer to where they're coming from. Pick the apple closer to the tree. In this case, we created the Postdoctoral Diversity and Innovation Scholars Program. This is a program that identifies as an anticipated need for a faculty member in a couple of years and goes and looks for a postdoc that's just graduating. They could come in, get some training, get some professional development, become part of the UNH community in an area where we know we're going to do a search. They still have to compete in a national search, but they've been part of the community. They're more likely to apply. They're more likely to stay. Uh, we've been very successful there. 100% of those PDIS scholars over the last three years have gotten a job. And last number I had was 65% of them have actually stayed right here at UNH and in a national search uh, been selected as the candidate of choice. Um, and then we also have an opportunity hiring program, which, which has been used so that every department can take a look at their needs for inclusivity. And if they see a candidate that might be a great fit in terms of uh, not only their scholarship and their teaching needs and their research needs, but also kind of the, the cultural inclusivity of the, of the department, uh, they can nominate that individual for one of three positions that we have available every year. Those three activities have resulted in much more diverse pools. And as you might imagine, it's helped increase the diversity of the new faculty that have been joining us every year. So can I tell you a fun fact that's not about UNH, but it relates to what Provost Jones just said? Yeah. So positions in American symphony orchestras are insanely competitive. There might be 30 or 40 applicants for to be the second oboe in the Philadelphia Orchestra. <laughs> and, and they were predominantly men for a really long time. If you look at any of the big orchestras, Cleveland, Philadelphia, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and so on, and they changed their auditioning practices a few years ago so that the people who were making the decision could not see the people who were performing in the audition. They put them behind a curtain so they couldn't tell, for example, whether they were a man or a woman. And since that day, American orchestras have hired twice as many women as they did before that. That's shocking. I mean, like, it's shocking in the sense that it took that, like, a curtain, you know, to hire more women, but, you know. People like, never think that they're biased. Yeah. No one thinks that they're biased. But when you do something like that, you go, hmm, maybe they were. Is unconscious. Right? Implicit bias. And so what the initiative that Provost Jones is talking about is grounded in the experience of the real world of making a huge difference. That's awesome. And it's true in many different ways. It, it, you know, it's not just gender. It's not just race. But also, you know, there's a bias in higher education for faculty that had gotten their PhD in a, in a group of 15 universities across the country. Uh, and part of that experiment that was done in SAPS was to hide that. 
And so suddenly there were other universities whose faculty candidates had written fabulous proposals and had wonderful backgrounds now popped to the top because it, they weren't one of those 14 universities. I think there's opportunities to do a lot more of that work. We literally just had that presented to all the department chairs at our last meeting about a month ago. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes in the future. So sometimes people think that diversity is something like you're in the dark ages and then you flip a switch and you get it right. What it really is, is a lifelong commitment to try and keep getting better step by step. So we're not harboring any illusions. We've got it figured out. And once we have it figured out, we'll try to figure out the next one and the next one and the next one. And we just keep pushing and always will be. That's great. There's, for those that don't know, I think that sitting in these meetings with the four of us here, I've learned that President Dean and Dina are a lot more similar than everyone would think. I think you guys have a lot more in common than people would think. Except for like, hairstyle. Except yeah. For hairstyle, yeah. <laughs> President Dean doesn't have extensions like Dina. But, um, but so in what way are we similar? But anyway, um, you would, like, of course you knew that little fact. And, like, you would know little facts like that too, Dina. And also, you guys have a shared love for musical theater that I think a lot we of people absolutely <laughs> both love musical theater. We were both at Bye Bye Birdie on opening night. We Put were. some respect. <laughs> like, you were saying that um, fun fact, and it's just something that Dina would say, I think. It's funny. Um, but we love Nadine Petty, and I'm so glad that you guys um, – is your executive council kind of like your cabinet? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so glad that she's involved in that. Um, and she's wonderful. And she's done ama amazing things for UNH. Um, it's one of the hardest jobs in any oh, university. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she's amazing. So, um, yeah. Any comments on that, Dean? I mean, Nadine is awesome. She's <laughs> great. And I also, it's really nice to hear all of the steps that are being taken. And, like, it's obvious that it's all being done with such care and such attention to detail. And I, I always... It's one thing to talk about it. It's another to actually implement action steps. And it's clear that things are being done and they're not just being talked about, you know? Which is awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So here's one of the, I guess, more interesting questions. Um, I think... Being the faces of the university is hard, and I know me and Dina get yik yacked a lot. Yacked about a lot. And is yik yak still out there? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I know. thought it had been taken down. I know. I re-downloaded it for the election to see what people were saying about the candidates. Um, but uh, people love to comment, and I wanted to see if you guys wanted to address some misconceptions about either yourself or some things, some previous action from your administration, and see if can clear the air of what students might think of President Dean and Provost Jones. Well, you know, so remember what I said before about how all the decisions we make are contentious, or many of them are contentious. And so there's probably not a single decision we've made that isn't, hasn't been second-guessed. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, we're grown-ups, and you know, <laughs> we, we understand that, just as you have become that through, through doing these jobs. Um, just to take COVID as an example, whenever we made, and we made scores of decisions about COVID. And each time that we made a decision, if we, if we moved in one direction, we'd get criticized by one group of people. And if we moved in the other direction, we'd get criticized by the other group of people. But through it all, what we were trying to do was to look out for the long-term best interests of the university community. Some people thought we were motivated by political concerns or financial concerns. And we kept, we kept each other honest throughout that whole process, saying what matters is really the long-term well-being of the university community, starting with students. 
and and people didn't always understand or appreciate that, but but that's what we did. So that would be one example. It's funny. Oftentimes, when we're criticized equally from both sides, that's a win. That's probably when we got it about right. Yep. Um, <laughs> Interesting. So the noise might 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 be loudest. I, I think it's. I think it's also interesting. So we don't know what types of myths might be out there. We'd have to speak to specific circumstances. But I, I, I will say that in general, when I hear about something, I would double down on something the president said. And that is, uh, I don't remember a time when we were making a decision based on brand or based on protecting faculty or protecting students. We're always thinking first and foremost about how will this support student success? How will this support UNH in five years, 10 years, 20 years when we're not here? How will this position UNH for success into the future? And that may or may not be exactly what one group or another might want today, but we believe it's the right place to go for the future. Yeah, honestly, I think that's a great answer to the question. I think sometimes um, people don't understand like what goes into decision making, and I think that probably is the biggest misconceptions around, like, how do these decisions get made? What's the process? But I know you guys are consultant with everyone. So, how do you guys deal with the pressure of everything? Like, do you have like a self care routine? Like, do yeah. you like I like I know like people like work out and stuff, do some facials, but I can't even imagine the pressure that you two are under. Like, well, I certainly don't do facials. <laughs> I think that's obvious. Um, another myth: I'm much younger than I look. But that's a different so issue obvious. completely. <laughs> I, I, I say exercise, absolutely number one. I, I try and exercise in one form or another every single day. Usually I'm in the gym at 6.30 in the morning. And, uh, a campus rack? Uh, no. <laughs> it's too far away. I don't have enough time. I make it to my basement and my treadmill and my weights down there, and uh, then I get into the office by 7.30. And then trying to find time on the weekends to do something with my grandchildren and get out in the mountains, get outside. How about you, President Dean? I. Similar answer. I, I exercise maybe not every day, but probably five or six days a week, something like that. Um, I also read a lot, as you know, from my messages to campus every month. Um, also, uh, family time is really important. Uh, two of my grandchildren were just here last week, and there's nothing quite like that. Being a, a grandparent is one of the things that's actually better than advertised. It's pretty great stuff. Um, and then also, you know, we you joked and teased me a little bit about the music thing. Uh, that's actually something that I also do. I'm a clarinet player, and I play in a trio with a pianist and a bassoonist. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. We're going to huh. have a, a concert sometime soon. What? Wait, can we come? Of course. What? I didn't know I'd be that. honored if you would come. I wasn't teasing you. I was teasing Dina about the musical theater thing for reference. <laughs> well, you, you, I mean, so this is, you know, for you guys and actually for anybody who's listening, you can't make your work your life. It's really important, but it's not your life. You know, your life is your family and other really close things to you, like your faith and so on. Work is important, and we work really, really, really hard and long hours, but you can't ever let it become everything. Yeah, I think me and Emily sometimes have that problem where our work is very important to us, and it has a lot of emphasis and weight. Wouldn't yeah. you agree? It's also tough because a lot of our close friends are in our student organization, so it's hard to separate, like, work just and personal. We, just, <laughs> we talk about Senate stuff, so. Oh, no, yeah. It's tough. Um, but I think our last question that we've prepared um, is what, okay, what are you most proud of during your time here at the university, and what is your biggest accomplishment? 
that's easy for me. Hiring Provost Jones was my oh, biggest accomplishment. That's so nice. <laughs> the rest <Cute>. is details. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can say, I would say something actually similar. What I'm most proud of is the full team that we have in academic affairs right now. Uh, right before COVID, there were changes. With COVID, there were more changes. And we now have a highly functioning team that, that and the way I define that is something that the president and I learned uh, with the COVID team that was meeting. It's a team that comes together and disagrees with one another. It's totally honest and, and takes different positions, securing the knowledge that by putting all those positions together and working together toward a common decision that you'll get a better decision. And so I think that that senior leadership team, I'm, I'm really, really proud of and really thankful for. Yeah, that's really, it's been great. And it's, it's a privilege to, to have to do these jobs and to work among such smart and committed people as we do. I, I really mean that. I will pick just one, one initiative that I don't know how much students are aware of this, but I, I think the Student Basic Needs Initiative is something that we're also really proud of. Um, we recognize, fortunately, before COVID that there were students who uh, didn't have access to food on a consistent basis, may not have access to housing, especially in breaks, needed emergency help sometimes. And so we formed a committee to, to work on that. And just in time, because when COVID hit, people really had a lot of needs. And we've gotten tremendous support for it. Actually, the 603 challenge just ended, and a lot of money was given to that. I could talk about a lot of other programs, but, but I do think one way to, to think about the success of an organization is what do you do for the people who are least powerful? And that's our answer to that question. That's really good. Yeah. Something I think UNH can be proud of. So I, I'm going to give one, one student example, and this actually comes from speaking to alumni. It is my favorite conversation every time I go into a business. You know, we have 5,000 different companies actually approach us through the uh, career and professional success through CAPS. 5,000 companies are coming, talking to, want to talk to our students, want to do internships, want to, want to recruit students. And when I talk to their leaders, a very common story that I hear back is, yeah, we love recruiting. Hampshire students, because UNH students, unlike those students at Harvard or at Yale that are going to explain why something won't work, UNH students just figure it out and get it done. And I think that's something we can all be really proud of. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. All right. So in this part of our podcast, in this segment, we answer some questions from our Instagram poll. And um, there's, some, there's some good ones on here. Um, but I think my favorite one is, what do you like most about each other? Cute one. That's a cute one, right? <laughs> Who wants to start? <laughs> I would say that uh, Provost Jones is incredibly thoughtful about making sure that I know about things that could potentially come up. Uh, he usually has on any given day three or four things. It's like, you need to know about this, you need to know about this. And there's really, I, I don't think in five years there's ever been a time when I've been caught up short because he, has, he hasn't let me know about something. There's a lot of other things I could say, but uh, off the top of my head, that's certainly one of the top ones. I, I mean, I think you can see the chemistry between us. Yeah, right? uh, romance, we're, we're I love it. Very, <laughs> we're very fortunate. You don't always have this. You really don't. And um, we're, we're very blessed to have it. That's very, very true. I, I find something, and we joke about this, uh, I find that I get really excited when the president and I disagree with one yeah. another. <laughs> Um, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. We almost celebrate it because uh, we tend to be very well aligned. 
something I'm really thankful for in the, in the president is uh, his scholarship and organizational behavior and how he brings that to the community in a way that doesn't micromanage. He defers to his team, and because he does that so well, his team defers to the folks in their teams. And I think that that leads to a better organization, uh, and I get to learn about how that fits with organizational behavior. Um, there's a lot of ones about if you're involved in the breakfast company, I'm not going to answer that one. I'm sure everyone knows that you're not. <laughs> so I think our last question that I'll take from the Instagram poll is, what is your favorite event on campus? Just one? Yeah. You can pick two if you want. <laughs> I actually, I got asked this question um, during the debate for student body president and vice president for the election this year, and I said the state of the university <laughs> was my favorite That's thing. adorable. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. I suspect that's not yours, Jim. No. <laughs> no, it's a lot of work for all of us, including Wayne. You know, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two. Um, I, I just attended a week ago Sunday the uh, the dance presentation, the dance exhibition. Evolution. Evolution. And it brought together about six different forms of dancing. And I thought that the, the choreography, the dancing itself, the overall conception was, and I, I told uh, Gay Nardone, Professor Nardone, I thought it was the best show that I'd seen in five years here. I thought it was just spectacular. So that would certainly be one. Um, I think maybe the other one that I would say is our football team's victory in the first round of the playoffs last year, where we were all there and we won the game on, we was a football player, so he knows a lot more about this than I do, but a really incredible catch in the end zone by one of our receivers. So there's, there's one from athletics and one from performing arts, but those are two things that are just great sources of excitement and pride on campus. I also saw evolution. It was Fantastic. I want to go more tra traditional with this question. I'm going to give you two. I absolutely love commencement. There is no better reason to come to a university than to be part of that commencement experience. And I think that the way UNH has evolved it is great. And I'm looking forward to celebrating Ugh, uh, I'm not looking when Emily's on stage. <laughs> Don't even want to talk about it. We're going to start practicing the secret handshake soon. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Uh, the second event I, I absolutely love every year is we do a faculty awards event where we recognize faculty at every level, faculty that are great graduates, graduate mentors, faculty that are great teachers, faculty that are great at each of the ranks, assistant professor, associate professor. We're adding clinical and other types of faculty. Um, and then recognizing the kind of the, the, the top award for the, the, the top overall faculty member, the Briarly. Uh, I think these are just really, really exciting uh, events, and I love watching the award winners, their nominators, their families come together at that event, and whether they're disagreeing with one another in their committees or their colleges or their departments, when they come together to celebrate each other, it's just as much fun as commencement. My favorite event um, is the Scope concert. I'm really excited for that. What's yours? Uh, I said State of the University. I also love U Day, honestly, because it just yeah, it gets, you, it gets you so excited for the Great year. Answer. You and know, it's all the freshmen getting excited and to join all the clubs and, and like get all the free merch. And like this year, being on the opposite side and like tabling at U Day, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love that. U Day is a fabulous answer. Yeah, 
Um, so how we end all of our podcasts, we do a high and a low of our week. So I thought we'd start with our lows and end on our highs. Dina, did you know your low of the week? My low of the week is that tonight um, I have about three papers due, which is a little bit uh, of a daunting task, but I'm ready to take it Everyone on. Everyone is so busy with their schoolwork. Yeah. Recently. I mean, although one of my papers is a paper about dance moms, so dance moms. that's great. That's your thesis. Um, that Abby Lee Miller did not treat those dancers well. She shaped them into the dancers they are today, but you no. so would sympathize <laughs> with Abby Lee Miller. You so would. You but know what we're talking about? No idea. <laughs> no idea. I know there's TV shows about dance moms. I assume this is one of them. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm actually proud that I don't know who Abby Lee Miller is. <laughs> yeah, I wish I didn't either. But. <laughs> um, do you know yours? Your low. My low. My low. I will generalize. Uh, you know, one of our one of our challenges when we make decisions is sometimes in these roles, we have to make a decision uh, based on information that is not public. And so you know, this week I've had the challenge of making a decision based on a set of information that isn't public and won't necessarily be understood. But that's, that's kind of a low for me because I always want to tell people exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing, and sometimes you can't. <laughs> no, it's, it's a nature of leadership, and you may face it in your future. So it's a good, good thing to share. For you or any UNH student as they go off into their career. And you're high? We'll go back well, around for We're going to go back high. around for those. Yeah. Oh, we're just doing lows now? I'm yeah. sorry. I, I'm I mess it up every week, week so don't worry. <laughs> I had a good high, though. I'm ready for that one. Um, I'm not sure I really have a low. I, I had two highs. Um, you want to share one of your highs? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is, I may be stretching the concept of the, of the week just a little bit, but I'm, I'm really thankful that the New Hampshire legislature so far has supported our funding requests um, for in, an increase in our budget. Um, we've been spending a lot of time working with the House of Representatives, and that's the group who both the governor and the House of Representatives have supported our request for increase in funding. We put a, a lot of people, put a lot of time into this, and now if the Senate will agree to it, then we'll have some increased funding for the university for the first time in a while for next year. So that's definitely a high. Woohoo! A good one. My low is picking up my cap and gown today. It made me nauseous. And <laughs> oh, jeez. And I, I said commencement. Ugh, it was, oh, my God, I wanted to cry in the traffic room this morning. Um, my high is I went to get campus creamery last night. I feel like the first warm day I had to get ice cream, and I got some strawberry ice cream, and it was delicious. Campus creamery is so good. Yeah. All right. What's your other high? So I just had office hours with a group of students just today. And whenever I have the chance to meet new students, to come to my office and talk about things that concern them, that's always high. It's, it's really an honor um, to have students trust you enough to come and speak with you and talk about their concerns and so on. And uh, they're always so respectful and thoughtful and well-practiced in what they want to talk about. I'm always very proud of them. So that was a high. That's so nice. It's <laughs> a great high. Um, uh, my high is, is actually quite easy, but it's a little complicated. So I'll give you a little bit of a story to get you there. Okay. Every one of our, nearly every one of our degree programs is accredited. We're accredited as a university, but many of them have specialty accreditations just within their discipline. And to be accredited, typically an external review team will come in. They, they read a report that you write about how you do your degree, your classes, how you build your student culture and your research experiences and your 
your experiences for your students. And then they come in for two days, a team of three or four people from other universities will come and they interview you and they talk to everybody and they talk to groups of students and talk to faculty and they talk to the leadership and the deans. And we had one of those this week. And at the exit interview, uh, the team uh, was going through their list of nine different criterion that they had to evaluate. And at the end, they said, but ultimately, this is really an awesome program. Because when we talked to the students, the students all felt that if something was ever wrong, they would go to their faculty member and it would get fixed. And I thought to myself, what a wonderful testament to what we're trying to do here. And it really reminded me of why we do a lot of the other things we do to make UNH better. That. Yeah. I was <laughs> going to make my high about Dave's hot chicken, but I'm changing it to the very <laughs> obvious. Food. Can you <laughs> yeah, no, I w- when you said ice cream, I was like, shouldn't be Dave's hot chicken. Today, I got and I got and accepted an offer for an internship with the Philadelphia Union. And for those who don't know what the Philadelphia <laughs> Union is, it is Philadelphia's major league soccer team. So it's the Philadelphia version of the Revs. So I'm what really will you be nice. doing with them? Um, I'm going to be working in their PR and communication department. So a lot of behind the scenes, um, keeping track of player stats, game highlights, um, writing emails. Um, basically, I'm like the medium of c- communication between the Philadelphia Union and the external media. Um, so I'm really excited. That's it's, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. Should be. That's great. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we really, really appreciate it. And we're so lucky that we've been able to have such a great relationship with you both this entire year. Um, as our term comes to a close, uh, tears. Um, we Another have two low. weeks left. Um, looking back on the, the best meetings that we've had, you guys are really up there. Like We've had some really tough conversations and good conversations and were needed. Um, and I'm so, so appreciative that you guys were able to listen to us this whole year. So We both can end this term and say that we are super chill with our <laughs> university's president and provost. And yeah. I don't know if that's something a lot of people could say. So Well, we feel the same way about you guys. It's been wonderful to work with you both. And you can tell everybody what a provost is. Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening and tune in next week um, as we interview the director of athletics. This podcast is part of the New Hampshire Podcast Network and produced by our friend and executive editor of the New Hampshire, Max Scheinblum. This podcast was funded by your student activity fee and all music is found on Poddington Bear.